Curious about the latest in the world of freight and how it impacts you and your business? Dive into our exclusive release of the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. Gain deep insights from the billions of transactions they handle each quarter. Visit usbank.com forward slash freight hyphen index to explore the release and sign up for quarterly updates. For a dynamic take on this information and to learn what's happening now in the business world, stay in the loop by subscribing to Supply Chain Now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are you doing today? Quite well. Thank you, Scott. I am out here in the field of supply chain. <laughs> you have been on assignment a good bit here lately, but so it's good to have you back in the saddle uh, down there in, in beautiful uh, coastal South Carolina. And we've got a jam up show here today. Greg, you ready to go? Yes, I came back for one and one half days to love the lovely Atlanta area for two reasons. Yeah. Um, one to see my daughter and my granddaughter on her first birthday, which was Saturday, which was fun. Got to see the in-laws and a bunch of my daughter's friends that I hadn't seen for a long time. Watch her smash her face into the cake and all that and smear it all over her dad, which was hilarious. <laughs> uh, got it on video, but that's just, you know, internal. We'll, we'll watch it later. <laughs> and, and then had the greatest wings in the history of earth. Um, Billy's chef at Old Town. So I had forgotten how much I love these things. So as much as they try hard here in the low country of South Carolina, good wings are not a specialty. Seafood's great. But uh, Old Town, the owner happens to be my next door neighbor. He invented this flavor of wings that is lemon pepper, ranch dressing, and hot sauce all together. Man. It is spectacular. It's the best flavor of wings ever. And they only Man. use the number one jumbos, which are the big, meaty ones. Even now. <laughs> Sold. Sold. So let's do, uh, I look forward to joining you next time you're here in the Atlanta area for some wings at Old Town. All right. Um, I'm going to mark that down. <laughs> write that down. But hey, speaking of big things to savor and enjoy, we've got a jam up yeah. uh, edition of the Supply Chain Buzz here today. We're Greg, as always. We walk through some of the leading stories and developments across really global business. And today, Greg, we've got back by popular demand. We've got Mark Holmes with Inner Systems joining us around 1225 p.m. Yeah. So, Greg, should be a great show, right? Well, it better be or we're going to be in big trouble with the boss. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Uh, but, folks, we also want to hear from you, right? Uh, we want to get your take on some of these things we're, we're talking through throughout the hour. Speaking of, let's go ahead and say hello to a few folks. Josh Goody's back with us. Good morning, he says, from a very happy Arsenal fan. Three degrees Celsius in oddly sunny Seattle. Greg, he's kind of, you know, I know he's an Arsenal fan. You're a um, Hot Spurs well, fan. So we can't talk. Josh <laughs> and I can't talk about soccer, football, right? The North London Derby, um, one of the, I think, appropriately most violent derbies uh, in the Premier League. Okay, so. well, we'll talk. We'll leave. We'll leave soccer alone, football as it is. Uh, and Unless we're talking about Ted Lasso, Scott, okay. which is coming out soon. The third <laughs> okay. season is coming out soon. All right, we'll, and, we'll and get to West that. Ham and AFC Richmond are going to have a derby. I can tell because of the way they ended last season. So, love it. What love it. More at 11. Uh, okay. Uh, Josh also touches on, and we're going to touch on this later, Josh, Apple phone manufacturing opening more and more plants in India. Uh, Jonathan's back with us, uh, the pride of Louisiana. Great to see you, Jonathan. Uh, of course, Amanda. 
and Chantel and Catherine and Clay all behind the scenes making production happen. Appreciate that. See him is back with us. Uh, go Charleston, South Carolina. She says, I wonder if she's got some roots there, Greg. No, but uh, the weather in Charleston is beautiful. Yes, it is. As is the weather down here. Unlike our poor guest who I won't <laughs> we'll tip our hand there. Right. Um, or anyone from pretty much north of the Mason Dixon line in the U.S. Right. 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 Weather has been crazy. <laughs> Alan, hey, great to see you. Uh, Alan, looking forward to our upcoming webinar with you and the panel. Uh, I know we're not going to hit everybody, but Terso, it's great to hear you, uh, see you as well. Hello again from the land of the eternal spring in Guatemala, Terso says. Yeah. Greg, that paints Beautiful a pretty country. picture. Yeah. All, all um, of those countries along that area in Central America, beautiful. Agreed. More and more humid the farther you go south, but still beautiful. Agreed. All right, Guy, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Let's get the party started. Well, with that said, let's get the party started for sure. So, so uh, but where I want to start with, uh, Greg, a couple of resources for folks out there. I want to start with, of course, the Q4 2022 U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. That was released a few weeks back, uh, focusing on uh, shipment and spend volumes, Lots and lots of learnings uh, from across industry. So to get your own copy of that, you go to freight.usbank.com. Greg, each quarter comes out chock full of content, right? Yeah. And uh, really, I mean, as valuable as the content is itself, um, maybe we can drop the episode, the link to the episode in there where we break it down and do so not only with the folks from US Bank, but also, uh, you know, someone who's using it for and the practical purpose for which they're using this. And this last episode with Enrique Alvarez from Vector Global Logistics was particularly good, not just because I'm an e-fan, but um, but just we changed the format a little bit and we started talking more about how folks are using it and what it's seeing and the decisions that it's helping them make in their business, yep. which is the whole purpose of the darn thing, right? That is right. That is right. So, folks, check that out. We've got a link to the uh, chat in the comments. It's free to download and let us know what you think. And Amanda dropped the episode that uh, Greg was thank just leading to. So, thank you very much for that. Um, speaking of, Catherine says, not to brag, but it's been beautiful in the Blue Ridge Mountains the past few days. I bet it You has. know, I meant to ask her that before we went on the air. So, I'm still making, I'm still making evaluations for where to spend the heat of summer. In, okay. You know? Um, it's either here or Atlanta, which is pretty much Atlanta is pretty much South Carolina without an ocean next to it. Right. Or, relief, um, or maybe in the mountains somewhere, which would be kind of fun. I've not ever done that sort of thing. It's funny when everyone, Scott, when everyone else was working remote. Yes. Remote was still working for us. Yes. Right? We didn't get to go to the mountains because we had to have like gig speed internet to be able to do this. Right. So. So true. Now, occasionally, we can we can get out a bit. Agreed, agreed, and it is fantastic. Hey, speaking of fantastic, gotten a lot of feedback around with that said, which is our almost weekly LinkedIn uh, newsletter. Uh, this past weekend, of course, it's National Women's History Month. So this past weekend, as we're going to, you know, we celebrate that really year round, but I like the the targeted element uh, that March offers. But we, we uh, put together a uh, uh, a, a truckload full of resources related to National Women's History Month in our latest edition of With That Said, which, Greg, we have, we're approaching uh, 21,000 subscribers. How about that, Greg? That's imp that's very impressive. That thing hasn't been out that long. But I did hear you say somewhat weekly. Are you saying that you may have missed a week? <laughs> uh, Key West may have had something to do with that. I'm not uh, sure. We're still. <laughs> yeah, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, Key West is both an inspiration for writing right. and an excuse for not writing. I mean, one of the greatest writers of all time, Ernest Hemingway, wasted a lot of days right. in Key West not writing. Greg, you don't miss a thing, as always. But, uh, folks, check out With That Said uh, and let us know what you think there as we continue to celebrate National Women's History Month throughout. And speaking of incredible women throughout history, hey, Mom. Uh, Lee Luton tuned in from Aiken, South Carolina. Thank you for that. Hey, Scott and Greg, those two cuties right there. Just to be clear, she is referring 
to, to her granddaughters. <laughs> right. Gracie and Brantley right yeah. here. So yeah. she's uh, not biased you. at all. Thanks, not. Mom. <laughs> um, and then lastly, uh, we've got a big event coming up March 21st, right? Uh, we're going to be focused on five tips for creating effective digital content. Everybody, folks, is in the content creation business these days, right? So join me and Greg and our friends Ursula Ringham with SAP and Brandy Boatner with IBM as we dive into what will be a very intriguing conversation on March 21st at 12 noon Eastern time. Okay, Gregory, a uh, lot to get to today. We've got a great guest uh, in Mark Holmes, Back by Demand. You and I both have enjoyed his appearances with us uh, throughout, um, you name it, podcasts, live streams, even webinars here at Supply Chain Now. So get ready for that. Um, hey, John, thank you. thanks for clarifying who the cuties are. <laughs> hey, we try. We try to communicate with clarity. I think he's saying he knew. Oh, did he? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think we're pretty cute, Scott. Oh, okay. I'll let that one go. Yeah. Um, all right. So for starters, though, I want to dive into Greg. I want to walk through a couple different headlines, developments that are out there, and then we're going to hit one of your popular supply chain summaries all before we welcome in Mark Holmes here in about 15 minutes. So you're ready to get started? Yes. Okay, let's do it. So I want to get uh, start with this. So stop me, Greg, if you've heard this before. Stop. Companies... <laughs> right. Everybody has. Companies continue to look for ways to move production out of China for a variety of reasons, of course, to include economic and political reasons, geopolitical reasons, perhaps. Um, I want to share a couple items from this great read from The Economist. Y'all got to check this out. So Chinese labor, which was one of the magnets there for decades now, big reason companies invested into the country for decades. Well, from 2013 to 2022, Greg, Chinese manufacturing wages have more than doubled. That alone has caused companies to reduce their footprint. For example, Samsung, everybody's heard of that. Samsung reduced its Chinese workforce by more than two-thirds since 2013. Now, where are they headed? And we've talked about this a lot, Greg, in over the last three, four years, whatever. Mm-hmm. More and more, you might hear this term, Alt-Asia. I'm not a big fan of it. That's just the latest. You know, there's been all kinds of terms over the last couple of years, but Alt-Asia which really refers to this crescent of more than a dozen countries that collectively offer a working age population of 1.4 billion, which is more than China's current 950 million in terms of uh, folks eligible to work. Many of the countries in this Alt-Asia crescent have signed on to the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, RCEP, making trade more frictionless, frictionless, and a couple things to look for, right? And Josh mentioned this on the front end. This is an example of things to come. India produced in 2022, they produced about one of every 20 iPhones. Now, by 2025, the country should be producing as much as one in every four. Man, how about that? So, Greg, quick commentary here. You know, we can expect more and more of this. We've been talking about it for years. Your quick comments here, Greg. Doesn't matter. Did you want me to go beyond that? Sure. Um, it doesn't matter unless India becomes uh, a place where we can do more production because the the accumulation of literally every every country in southeastern Asia, aside from China and Africa, is not enough to uh, overcome the amount of workforce that is available in China. And to, so that everybody knows, doubling of the of the pay rate basically means it went from $8,500 a year for a a Chinese worker to about $17,000 a year, which means that only those countries in sort of the third world are even a candidate to replace this labor or automation. Mm. So we are stuck with China for a good long while because it is a, it's a long way to, it's a long way to uh, having the infrastructure in in India to be able to do that. And that's the only plausible nation on the face of the entire planet to to even take up a significant fraction of the labor or to produce the a significant significant fraction of the labor that China does. And their problem with slavery mm. is exponentially greater than the problem with slavery in China. Excellent comments. So a lot there. of things to overcome there. That's right. And most folks don't know that China was the globe's biggest automation market in 2022. Good point. 
And uh, if, if I read something really quickly earlier today, you know, coal power, a lot of folks have a lot of different takes on coal power. Well, China, the Chinese government was approving new, new coal power plants, as many as two per week last year. So those are some constraints that other markets won't have when it comes to uh, energy and, and, and easier, cheaper energy. So, Greg, excellent commentary. I appreciate that. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to move into the second. Talk, talking of energy, right? I'm going to move into the second uh, article really quick. And this comes to us from our friends at the Wall Street Journal. So we're going to shift from Asia to Europe. Uh, not long after Russian forces invaded Ukraine over a year ago now. So tough to believe that. A year ago, um, Russia largely cut off its flow of gas exports to Europe, triggering quite a crisis that some say is unprecedented. As this WSJ reports uh, article reports here, the U.S. liquefied natural gas industry, LNG, is where much of Europe has turned to. As, as exports of U.S. LNG has more than doubled from 2021 to 2022. But as with much of our world, Greg, as I would argue, the supply chain behind the LNG in, uh, industry is more than intriguing, more than fascinating. Check out this line from this Wall Street Journal article. Quote, but before an American molecule of gas can be burned by a power plant in Italy, used to cook in Spain, or produce fertilizer in Germany, it has to be pumped out of the ground, treated, piped, chilled, loaded onto a ship, sailed, and then converted into gas again, end quote. The U.S. gas industry's liquefaction, say that three times fast, liqu liquefaction capacity stands at about 13 billion cubic feet of gas a day. New facilities being built should raise that to some 23 billion cubic feet, just almost doubling of gas a day by 2030. And one little uh, local note, Greg, I, I wasn't aware of this. Elba Island down the Savannah area, we all know that the ports of Savannah and all they've grown, but Elba Island in particular plays a big part in the LNG industry. So Greg, your quick thoughts there. Uh, well, I mean, the, you know, the, the issues and opportunities with this are far ranging. Unfortunately, the U.S. natural gas uh, companies and infrastructure have been um, discouraged from investing because most of the natural gas companies are also other fossil fuels, right? Like oil. Um, and there's, there's a lot of discouragement in terms of that. Higher prices will help, but those higher prices will also be reflected in the States because, um, as we ship more of that offshore, that there's less oil here for us to use in the states and the refining process is is substantial so it's going to be an, a really interesting shift and honestly i think it's an interim solution until uh someone finally destroys the you know the rogue government in russia and and puts them you know a uh more what do i want to say more of a uh um well, i don't know fair-minded human uh, yeah, human would be good. <laughs> That's good, Scott. Uh, um, yeah, leader in place. Um, then you know this will continue to be the case. Look, if there's anything that our and if there's anything that America's dithering on this invasion of Ukraine has done, it is emboldened Russia and China to use not only natural resources but also supply chains as a weapon to to cripple the rest of the world. And we've mm. seen the impact that it's had on the States and Europe, Africa, Southeast Asia, elsewhere. Um, and until we show them that we're not going to allow them to do it, and there's really only one way to do that, unfortunately, yeah. they're going to continue to do it. And in fact, it's going to, to your point, Scott, to go just briefly back to the previous story, which is um, automation versus labor. Remember that, that China controls 95% of materials and, and um, core products that are required for automation and many, many technologies like laptops and phones and that sort of thing. So the world runs through China right yeah. now, and China is using Russia as a proxy to see how the rest of the world, and particularly the U.S., will respond to their inevitable and soon occurring invasion and, and um, um, reclaiming of Taiwan. So yeah. we have to do something. Our dithering on this is a, is a big, big problem 
today and will be a bigger problem in five and 25 years. Yeah. Thank you, Greg and, and SCM. Yes, Greg keeps it real, always keeps it real. Uh, uh, I share that sentiment with you. And folks, check out, give us your take. Uh, Amanda's dropping a link to these articles there in the chat. Let us know what you think. Um, really quick, before we move into one of Greg's popular supply chain commentaries or, or, or uh, TikTok edition, maybe, of his uh, supply chain commentary, I want to share, there's a way, there's a way <laughs> I think you're dancing there, Greg. There's a way, <laughs> there's a way you can help, though. Putting all of what Greg, Greg's analysis and what the story and, and, and a lot of the bad stuff that's taking place is a way you can help. Uh, so we've been supporting this Leveraging Logistics for Ukraine initiative for, well, about a year now. And uh, led by Vector Global Logistics, over 670,000 pounds of humanitarian aid have made it to folks in need in Ukraine and Poland and elsewhere. But it's driven by these monthly planning sessions. The next one is tomorrow, March 7th at 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Eastern time. You don't have to give. You don't have to talk. You can just show up and kind of get a sense of what goes on. But we'd welcome you. We've dropped a link to joining us in that planning session in the chat, and we hope you do just that. Okay, Greg, before we turn over to you, I'm looking forward to hearing your take on, on not just Amazon, but but a lot of stuff going on in the warehousing industry. I want to say a quick hello. Jose, great to see you. Love your good work. Uh, supply chain logistics over coffee. Uh, and hey, Gino is back with us. Gino, great to see you here today from Northern Alabama. We're overdue for a catch up. Um, okay, Greg, got a couple minutes here before Mark Holmes joins us with Inner Systems and looking forward to our chat there. But you, the hits keep on coming. The hit machine, Greg White, uh, your supply chain commentaries that come out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on LinkedIn have been fueling quite a, a ton of discussion. Uh, I picked one of your last ones uh, from, I think it was last week, as you were talking about what is going on related to Amazon, some of the good news and bad news there, and and how maybe they're just like the poster child for what the rest of the industry is dealing with. Tell us more. Yeah, well, the, you know, the uh, what happened is they closed and have uh, delayed a number of facilities, hundreds of them, frankly. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's an indicator of, of where I think where um, warehouse real estate is going, right? We, we got really excited when everybody got um, online and started buying more and more online and started throwing up facilities everywhere and converting facilities and that sort of thing. Of course, Amazon has always had a very aggressive uh, process of, of adding infrastructure to their supply chain since um, they were failed by the usual suspects in 2014 and again in 2017. Um, they have been trying to build their own logistics network so that they are not dependent on UPS and FedEx and um, even the Postal Service. So um, they are, you know, like so many things with Amazon, this is kind of a hit piece on Amazon. Um, I think people hate Amazon just because they are Amazon. Um, but in truth, it is indicative of where the space is going. And it kind of dovetails into an article I did the week before that, where we were talking about Missouri and the Kansas City area in particular, where the slowdown is precipitous in that area. And Kansas City was building, for instance, was growing f facilities even before COVID because it's in the dead center of the country. And a great place to make sure you have one or two day delivery to a lot of places around the flyover states. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of this is is to be expected. But I'll tell you, it is a tale of caution for um, real estate developers and uh, other companies out there that are continuing to build. Like anything, we've seen it, so many of us have seen it before with housing. We've even seen it with commercial real estate. Commercial real estate kind of reached a peak office space right before COVID and has yet even remotely approached coming back from where it was. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm a fore, forewarned is forearmed guy, Scott, and I just wanted to kind of get that message out there. But at the same time, I think it's important to think about the fact that even though Amazon has delayed a ton of facilities, they still are building some in areas where they already had plans to do so to fulfill the need they already knew was coming even pre-COVID. And, and uh, Amazon has been planning for this for a, 
a long, long time, and they have been building rapidly a couple hundred facilities a year for six, eight, ten years now. Wow. Um, and um, so that that's it, it's not that the it's going backwards, but it is such that the growth is is condensing and there are some areas i would argue that kansas city is one but there are some areas and some um where where we're overbuilt and where um excessive enthusiasm i never get that right that's the old paul volker volker saying but um or was it bernanke anyway um (laughs) where enthusiasm has outstripped uh fact as markets have opened up and and consumers have gotten to go back to in in-person retail, which they are doing pretty dramatically. So. Yep, agreed. Well, folks, that's the uh, Reader's Digest version. Y'all got to check out Greg's supply chain commentary in its full version and comment. We got the link; they'll take you back to where uh, he, he publishes those on LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to be publishing those elsewhere, coming to a, a town, a city near you soon. Coming to a blog <laughs> near you. That's right. Um, yeah, and today, actually, we started talking about inflation. So the mm. post from today was about inflation. So if you get a chance, take a look at that too. Remember, consumers, you are the beginning and the end of the supply chain, and the growth uh, of inflation, or even the the um, impact or the potential shift to deflation, is all in your wallet. That's right. Well said, Greg. Uh, okay. So, man, we have made a lot of progress just in 26 minutes' time. And, hey, so one, one of my favorite parts is yet to come. So with that said, well, see what that I did wasn't there? your favorite part? I'm no. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I get to rub elbows with brilliance uh, in Greg uh, just about every day. So it's I get boring, to... doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we get today – we get to bring in uh, a, a great friend and collaborator. Folks, you're going to enjoy learning from uh, the one and only Mark Holmes, Senior Advisor for Global Supply Chain with InterSystems. Hey, hey, Mark, how you doing? Very good, gentlemen. How you doing? We are doing wonderful, wonderful. Greg's raring to go, if you can't tell already. We've had a very productive uh, half hour thus far. And now we get to add you into the mix. So, Mark, we're really tickled here, aren't we, Greg? Tickled, Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, like, don't you feel like you're talking to your grandfather, Mark? <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, the best part was the 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 wings sauce that you talked about was just outstanding. I just, it is the greatest flavor of all time. Um, it really is. Yeah. Well, it's funny, Greg and Mark. Mark, you picked up on that because we're going to start with a you know we like to start with a little fun warm up question with our guests here, and it's going to be related to food. So Mark and Greg, as if right on cue, today's a special holiday here. We're going to have a parade here with the Supply Chain Now family. Because on March 6th, this day back in 1912, National Biscuit Company, which was later known as Nabisco, well, they introduced the Oreo. So Mark, I want to start with you. I'm going to ask Greg the same. Mark, what's your favorite Oreo flavor? Because now you've got like your pick of a dozen or more flavors. And are you a dunker? Do you do you eat your mm. Oreos with milk? Mark? Well, well, I'm going to be a little bit boring. So I, uh, I tra- I'm traditional. I like the traditional Oreo, okay. and um, I don't like dunking. Oh man! Okay, so Greg, those might <laughs> be fighting words. Uh, that was Greg. a shocker. Okay. <laughs> so Greg, um, your thoughts? Well, I mean, I guess I have been sheltered my whole life because I thought dunking was the traditional way of doing it. But I too am a purist. Um, I only like regular Oreos, no double stuff, no, no thin, although thin, uh, I can do double yeah. stuff is too much stuff. Um, I'm a traditionalist, but I like, um, I like dunking actually have to dunk them. And, um, actually it's funny, Mark, I, I guess we didn't talk about this off, off screen because my next question was going to be, what kind of milk do you dunk them in? One, uh, two, uh, oh. 60% or whole milk, but I use 2% milk. When yeah. almost solely for dunking Oreos. Yep. Well, Mark, you were about to add something. Common. I was just going to say, at least there's something common there 2% milk. <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay. You got to tell us. I will. Yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, and I'm going to deny that it was me. 
So you got mini Oreos, right? You got mini Oreos, which are almost delicious as the real thing. And are someone they really, are they really mini, like little bitty. They are. Yeah. Now I may or may not have, I want to give a little, little wiggle room there, have poured that into a bowl with 2% cereal or 2% <laughs> oh, milk. <my. laughs> it was delicious. Oh, you know, as man. soon as you said mini, that was my first question was, did you eat it like cereal? Oh, gosh. Yes. All right. So check this out, Mark and Greg. Uh, what, a lot of Oreo. What, how was it? It was, uh, it, it was delicious enough to do it maybe once a lifetime. Okay. I wouldn't do it any more than that. Your, your, your dietary um, <laughs> consultants yeah. won't approve. Yeah, right. So John Perry says the thin Oreos are good if you're insulating a room. <laughs> uh, Leah Luton says shout out to the gluten-free Oreos. They're fantastic whether you're Dunkin' or not. Uh, Amanda says Oreos are one of the only things she craved when she was pregnant, along with watermelon. I ate more Oreos than I like to admit with a tall glass of milk nearly every night. How about that? Uh, Josh says double stuff is thick enough to be able to use a fork to dunk the Oreos and milk. And Alan was like uh, our pre-show conversation. Alan I was like the way Alan thinks. Other flavors. Yes. Yeah, so. Keep your head in the sand, Alan. There is no point. Although I did... Right before we came on air, and I don't know yes. how you guys, I'd love to get you guys' opinions, everyone's opinion on this. I heard there are mint-flavored Oreos, which makes me think of uh, the mint Girl Scout cookie. Yes. Mint chocolate. Girl Thin, mint. Thin, Thin mint. Thin mint. And makes me think that might be worth a try. That might be worth a try. I don't know. Well, tell you what, we'll send Mark. You'll be on assignment after today, and you'll have to report back on whether it's the mint Oreos or any other flavor, and we'll we'll get your analysis. How's that sound, Mark? Love it. Okay. All right. Well, hey, we knew we we know there's lots of Oreo lovers in our audience, and thanks for sharing uh, some of y'all's favorites there. Um, Greg and Mark, we got a lot of work to get to, and I want to start with this this first article here. Um, Mark, because it's all about shortages, right? Shortages. There was this popular article from our friends at Supply Chain Dive. They went through a variety of different sectors that will be continuing to experience shortages in 2023. And I want you to uh, tell us your favorite part or your maybe your most telling part of this of this article here. Tell us what you read into not only the article, but but what you're, you're seeing as you've got your finger on the pulse of business leaders across industry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, it talked about four goods facing uh, a tight supply. And if you go into it, it talks about food is one category, lithium and uh, electric vehicle components was the second, pharmaceuticals was the third, and then semiconductors was the fourth. But I just want to hone in a little bit on the food and, and on pharmaceuticals to kind of uh, you know, get to a point overall. Yep. And I think, look, it, you know, it's interesting because we did something similar about a year ago, all three of us. And we were talking about disruption. A lot of people were saying, you know what yeah, is disruption? You know what? I think it's just going to go away at some point. And look at us now. You know, there's this whole article is all the way through 2023. And I'm sure well into 2024 and beyond, we're still going to see disruptions. And when you go through the article, it talks about, you know, continued geopolitical, environmental turmoil localized demand surges that's going to cause localized stockouts. It goes on. It gives names of companies. In fact, one happened to me about two weeks ago. It was okay. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, I'm going to read quote in here. Chick-fil-A, for instance, told customers that some items may be unavailable or prepared differently. I went in, and I'm a big Chick-fil-A fan. I went in. Yep. It just, you know, again, I guess I'm a traditional type of guy, right? So the traditional, like the Oreo, I go in, I want the chicken sandwich. The first thing the gentleman says to me is, do you really want a pickle on it? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> no pickle? And it's like, so the first thing that hit my mind was they're trying to limit the supply of pickles. Why? Because of exactly this. There is an issue around supply and it's around right. supply of pickles for them, which I'm sure even lettuce that we just talked about right. is an issue. If I go to pharmaceuticals, you know, interesting, it talked about uh, amoxicillin, a big issue with amoxicillin to be able to help children because it's a big antibiotic, but there's certain right. supplies that uh, is causing the shortage. So it made me think a little bit, you know, broader when I was looking uh, and reading into the article. So one around pharmaceuticals is humanizing the supply chain, number one. I think right. sometimes we get so caught up in 
to, you know, how do we look at applications and enterprise systems? How is it that we're going to be able to, to optimize down to a, a particular application? And to me, it's really ultimately, what are we doing for the end customer? Ultimately, what are we trying to do? And it makes me think about, and it, it's going to lead well, I think, into the next article we're going to talk about, but are our supply chains, even after all the lessons that we learned, where are we at in really having our supply chains become more agile and resilient? And I think that's the that's key. And when you talk about that, about having agility and resiliency in your supply chain, I love going to uh, what what I've seen in the market, but IDC, yep. uh, based on a recent um, survey that they took that they're saying 52%, I think higher based on conversations that I've had, uh, much higher actually. Yep. Uh, organizations haven't quite gotten to the step in the digital transformation to become agile, to manage disruption. Look, disruption, just like in that article we just talked about, whether it's food, pharmaceuticals, is 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 here to stay. And right. if not, if not, even potentially get worse. Yep. So let me pause there. I mean, Greg and Martin just covered a lot of ground there. Your thoughts related to the shortages or or humanizing supply chains, even that Mark touched on. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah. Well, uh, well, part of part of the shortage that we talked about, which um, was signaled by Chick-fil-A and I think a few other restaurants was supposed to be around things like lettuce and tomato. I'm stunned and afraid, frankly, that it could be around the pickle <laughs> on a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I'm not sure what you call it if it doesn't have the pickles on it. it yeah, uh, is it two or three pickles? You yeah. know Chick-fil-A longer than all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Dude. Um, Dude. Next, they'll be next. It will be an involuntary reduction by one pickle or something like that. And but you know, we talked about that, and we're kind of spoiled because this time of year, when let's just say my parents were kids, you didn't have tomatoes in the wintertime in right. North America because you couldn't grow them. And now we have them flash frozen or nitrogenated and shipped up from South America. Um, and this is a real problem in Europe and in the UK in particular, uh, their produce, they have long been lamenting the fact that they are very short on produce. And in fact, had a little bit of a discussion with somebody on LinkedIn, I think, or something, Twitter, whatever, about that. And of course, in the US, we are even less susceptible to these kind of shortages than virtually any country in the world. Why? The largest consumer nation on the planet, hmm. right? The biggest economy on the planet. So if we're starting to see it, I'm, you know, I'm going to Switzerland this, this mm. summer and, uh, man, I hope the Chick-fil-A's over there aren't just completely without pickles. <laughs> It'd be a travesty. I don't even know if they have Chick-fil-A. Over there. Um, <laughs> I know that, that we'll see some of these shortages in, uh, or are seeing some of these shortages in other nations around the world. And yeah, think about what we're talking about. We're talking about shortages, condiments, Right. <laughs> on our sandwiches, whereas in other parts of the world, just getting food is, right. is, a, is a real trouble. And I think that's, you know, that's um, something we should thank our lucky stars for, that that's not the discussion that we're having. But still, it is indicative of all of these things. I think that in large part, a lot of what, Mark, you talked about goes right back to labor. It goes yeah. back to the fact that we completely shut down the economy and sent every single worker home virtually overnight. On the entire planet, hmm. it's been a struggle to get people. It's been a struggle, or it's been counter motivated by governments getting people back to work, and it's taken a few years. I think we're starting to see it, but I wonder, and I'd like to toss this question out to you guys: Whenever you have an experience that's less than you expect and less than you experienced prior to COVID, do you like? I see so many people doing. Do you go immediately to? It's probably because they're short on people. Does that, I mean, is, is it, am I the one programmed like that or are the people that I've been around programmed like that? I wonder if, it, if that isn't more universal that we aren't recognizing that. Mm. What do you guys think? Mark? Yeah, I think it's, you definitely, it's the first thing that you hear, you know, yeah. labor shortages and, and which leads to, I myself just got back from Germany and the UK uh, last week. And you're right, you know, not only shortages in food big there, but shortages in, in labor. And yeah which also leads to shortages in productivity. Right. right. 
if right. you could say it that way, because look, some organizations are bringing on, you know, where you we're losing a lot of tribal knowledge because of that. We're bringing people in that, you know, before we I think we relied and we just considered it normal that the tribal knowledge understood what to do next. Yep. Even with, you know, the most sophisticated AI and ML, right? You know, tribal knowledge still has a play, but we have lost it or are losing it. So it's not only the reduction in manpower, but also a reduction in productivity and, and the ability to make the right decisions in right. a timely and accurate way. Yeah. I, I hope that's where we're going with that because it puts more pressure on equipping your team with the right tools and ability and empowering their decisions, their ability to make decisions, but also their uh, propensity to make the right decisions and make them faster. And we're going to touch on that here in just a moment. I want to share a couple of comments and we're going to move to a second article for the sake of time. Uh, the first one goes back to, um, to our Oreo discussion where Liz says she just bought double stuffed over the weekend. I want to do a poll around whether they're less stuffed. I swear no. they had 25% less Liz. I think that's a very valid observation. Uh, really? I mean, Scott, have you bought double stuffs? I bought double. I hadn't. I have not bought double stuffs recently, but you know, I bought some 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 plain, some normal Oreos not too long ago, and I could have sworn the formula has changed a smidge. So, mm. based on that experience, it would you know, I'd give it. I'd give her observation some uh, some legs there. I think um, we're seeing that a lot. I think we're seeing invisible inflation. I think is what my mother and others call it. Um, where the price has now we're at the point where the price has stayed the same, but the size or, uh, you know, quantity has, has been reduced. I know that for sure on Tillamook ice cream, their, their half gallons went to just under a half and now to, I don't know what it is, but it's much, much less than half. Um, yes. And, and there are other examples of that. Uh, My wife said that the, fish sandwich at Ted's mm. uh, that's where we went for dinner Friday Scott um, <laughs> has gotten smaller and and you know a lot of times the people in the store don't notice but our waiter said yeah absolutely it has absolutely gotten smaller don't know by what fraction but I think we're seeing a lot of that shrinkflation that's it yep. yeah I'm with you um, well one of the places I would perhaps I'll segue here Mark and Greg that we're not seeing as much shrinkage is that's in our inventory levels of cross industry. Now I want to dive into this article here because it talks to again from our friends at supply chain dive, where they're talking about a popular athletic retailer under armor needs to lose a few LBs when it comes to uh, their swelling inventory. And I've got this graphic teed up right here. So Mark, I can't wait to hear your take here. And of course we'll loop in Greg as well. So Mark, tell us more here. Yes. Another interesting, uh, what's happening with them, but not just Under Armour. I just, you know, it it was the article that just caught my eye when I was reviewing it, but it, it talked about definitely inventories went down during COVID. uh, But now they're, they're starting to become an issue increasing. And even though efficiencies, it goes on, the article talks about supply chain efficiencies, which is good, positive, but inventory levels are increasing. And then it, it talked about further on that it said, well, you know, maybe it's normalizing the way it was in 2017, 2018, 2019. And it made me think like, you know, so often Target just went through the same thing several months ago, right? Too much inventory. We hear so much around, you know, just in time, but now we're hearing, you know what? It's good to have a lot of inventory for just in case. We're hearing that. But does it have to be? That's my my question, does it have to be? And it goes back to exactly what we just talked about on the disruptions, on the food shortages, the same thing with building inventory. To me, it leads to, unfortunately, companies not yet where they need to be in their digital transformation to be agile and resilient. And maybe it's it's they're just not there. Uh, maybe it's it's taking longer than they thought to get there. But to me, that's the crux of the issue. It's just not Under Armour. That was just a good example. It's Target. It's so many more. Right. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's an issue. It's because we're not advancing as quick as we need to. Yep. Uh, completely agree. And, and it could be uh, you know they're missing tools, the practices. 
in, in some cases, back to Greg's comments a few minutes ago, the talent. But Greg, weigh in here on what we're seeing. Again, not at we're not picking on Under Armour. It just happened to be the, the main thrust of the the article. You know, inventory has been swelling across the industry in many ways. Greg, yeah, it's one hundred percent because of you know digital, technological, whatever you want to call it, capabilities, and it's almost one hundred percent to do with the fact that they have not uh, shored up their abilities in terms of forecasting because foundationally most companies are forecasting the wrong thing they're forecasting the items based on history they're saying hey sweatpants sold a lot during covid right so let's expect them to sell a lot this year what they're not considering is the change in the influence on the consumer meaning they could get out of the house and they had to start wearing actual pants so that that's going to shift demand on some of those products right um, so, and that Mark, as you well know, we all know, I think in large part that in particular is a largely manual process. It's in the gut and in the mind of the merchandisers and the product managers at these companies. Likewise with the last catastrophe of what, gosh, it was this time last year. Remember, right. Right. remember everyone who's been watching us for a year or more, I did an incredible amount of arbitrage on patio furniture. Got a new house with a lot of patios and got a bunch of patio furniture between 40 and 70% off because people were thinking that because people were still locked in and because the lead times are so long that that they had to start had to continue to bring in all this patio furniture and it arrived just in time for demand to shift because the influence on the consumer, the largest influence being lockdowns had been relieved and now consumers were out traveling the world. So some of us took advantage of that. And I intend to do the same with Under Armour, by the way. I'm kind of a <laughs> fan of their stuff. And if it's going to be on sale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that, that this is, a, is exacerbated problem that these companies always have. In fact, I know that they always have. I'm not just thinking. I know it because so many of these retailers, particularly in fashion or or apparel industries, they build markdowns into their plan. Mm. They expect to mark something down, you know, towards the end of season. And that way they don't run out before the end of season. But if something dramatic shifts, they're caught on the back foot. And that's exactly what's happening to companies like Under Armour and Wayfair and others that are grossly overstocked. Well said there, Greg. Uh, and Mark, um, I want to get into... Uh, for the three people out there that may not know what Inner Systems does. But before we do, there is a phrase um, that you and I have chatted about a lot. Maybe you and me, Greg, on numerous occasions, data fabric, right? I think the last time, one of the last times you were here, we had a lot of fun around Spider-Man uh, and, and comics and, and data fabrics and, and, and data webs and whatnot. Can we, uh, before we get into what Inner Systems does, I think this is a critical maybe learning opportunity for some of our folks here. Can you, can you just define what, we're talking about when it comes to data, data fabric and then roll right into what InterSystems does out in the industry. Yeah, sure. So data fabric, look, the concept is has been around for a while on what it is. It's an architecture. It's an architecture of being able to build out data that is, is scalable. It's more real time. Uh, it's more accurate. You know, there's a you when you get into it, and it's something we won't get into now, but when we get into our next conversation uh, later on, but, you know, the concepts of harmonizing and normalizing data, mm. uh, security, the ability to, uh, in a very uh, efficient and scalable way, to grab data and then be able to ingest it, not, not create another data warehouse or data lake, but ingest it. Yeah. And then what we've coined, to your point, and this would uh, be a, a nice lead into what you just said of more of what we're doing, is that we, uh, our data platform is an underpinning of data fabric, but we've taken it one step further to a smart data fabric, meaning with embedded analytics, embedded ability of AI and ML, with embedded interoperability that helps you with uh, taking your, your, your processes, your business processes and digitizing them into the platform. And so that, that architecture allows you to very, very efficiently and in, in, in a scalable way to be able to get to ultimately actionable insights. And so if I were to, to sum up what we do very uh, in a very uh, succinct, short way, 
Yeah. Is that, you know, I like you, t- you alluded to it earlier, the connected tissue, right? I really like that. Love that. Love that phrase. Yeah. We're not an application, right? We're not an enterprise system. We complement and we help get that final 20% of optimization because with that connected tissue, bringing that disparate data together, sensing supply chain disruptions in real time, and then turning them into prescriptive insights. And we can do that because of the four embedded technologies that we just alluded to. So we're, we're bringing in, we're integrating the data in any, any form, any format. We're then ingesting the data at rest so that we can then analyze it with embedded analytics and then embedded interoperability so that all four are working together as one capability to get to better insights, which will help the line of business uh, make those sustaining, confident uh, decisions. Yes. Okay. So, Greg, before I get your take on what Mark just walked through there, um, we talked earlier about the human factor at play across global supply chains. Even in this tech world, we still rely on the human factor, right? But but as we all talked about, we got to empower them to be able to make decisions, better decisions, more timely, and give them tools to do so. And then w- one last point, uh, Mark mentioned actionable insights. Well, Greg, as I toss it to you, if insights aren't actionable, it really it really cuts down the value of those said insights, right? Greg, you weigh in on here and what Mark just walked us through. Yeah, that's exactly the thought that went through my mind is what is the point of an insight if it's not actionable, right? I mean, I think sometimes think about what people complain about the most in their work. It's sitting through meaningless, goalless meetings where someone reads a report that they could very easily read in on an email or something like that. And there is no action from it. It's just a notification of, as I used to say when I was in the biz, when I was still a practitioner, this is how you hurt the company yesterday. Mm. Thank you very much for that. What am I supposed to do with that? Actionable insights allow you to do things either to say, hey, here's what went wrong. Here's why it went wrong. Here's what we can do about it in the future. Or better yet, actionable insights are preemptive right? Before anything goes wrong or predicting that something could go wrong or responding to a potential delay and allowing you to make provision to, for alternative methods, modes of attack before it causes a real problem. So uh, yeah, actionable is all Action. that matters, right? Love that. Yeah. Just to add to what Greg just said is, you know, to me, you know, oftentimes we talk about accelerating time to value, right? So we're, you know, with so much disruption, we just went through it, right? We just went through, they, they cross sectors. Think about it, retail, pharmaceutical, the consumer goods, you know, disruptions are here to stay for sure. And globally, right? And we have a global supply chain. Supply chain is global. But the point is, is how can we accelerate time to value with better decisions? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I think we could sum it up to that. Yes. Okay. We're going to offer a couple of resources to make sure folks know how to connect with Mark Holmes. Gosh, me and Greg and Mark, we could talk for the next several hours about this. And I bet with a lot of folks in the comments. Um, I want to share just a couple, though. Seaham uh, says data should answer, so what? That's right. A lot more folks should say, so what? And, 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 and get, a, get, their, get the why in that response. And then Josh says, to Greg's point earlier, favorite coffee mug is, quote, survived another meeting that could have been an email, end quote. The second is a unicorn that says, I don't believe in humans. <laughs> all right. Good stuff there. Um, all right. So, Mark, uh, now that we know what InterSystems does, at least in a nutshell, and, you know, Greg, as we both know on Mark's earlier appearances, I think his inbox filled up with folks wanting to kind of learn more from him. And I'm sure Mark in, in, uh, embraces and encourages that. But you brought the, a cool resource here that I want to share with folks. Uh, kind of a um, a resource library, resource center, and tell us more about what's here. This link that we're going to be dropping in in uh, the chat in a moment. What what? Why should folks check that out? Yeah, so it's a very concise. It's only a couple pages uh, long. It's a brochure, but it talks about uh, our category of use cases that we focus on. It's yeah. not one or two or three or five particular use cases. It's a category of use cases like demand sensing and forecasting, like you talked about, Greg. Right. Ultimately, we have to have better ways to sense demand, but better forecast, whether it's on the supply side or demand side, but also supply chain orchestration. Because you and when you go to the site, you'll learn more about uh, what we do. But supply chain orchestration, becoming that agile supply chain, it could be something 
uh, you know, it's as complicated, if you will, as, as coming up with uh, an ultimate control tower to help you manage the business. But it also talks about how we optimize fulfillment and ultimately being able to get that to that ultimate near perfect on time in full. But as you know, fulfillment can be into manufacturing. It can be into retail, first mile, last mile, in between or along the entire end-to-end supply chain. So this very short, concise uh, brochure uh, gives you a little bit of background of, of what we do in those areas. Wonderful. And we dropped a link to that in the chat. Y'all check that out. Uh, Mark, if they've got questions, and Greg, I'm going to get your final key takeaway once uh, Mark uh, departs here on this Monday, March 6th edition. Oh, we're going to talk about him behind his back. We are. We are. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts. But uh, just kidding. Mark, um, I know 25 minutes or so isn't nearly enough time to talk about what you and your team are doing out there in industry. Uh, we got a link to that resource. How can folks connect with you uh, after your appearance today? Yeah, two ways. I, I would go to either www.intersystems.com, go into the website, uh, by all means, jump into the, the supply chain section. You'll, you'll be able to get to the article that we just talked about, plus so many more. Uh, a lot of our use cases, too, are successful case studies of what we've done uh, around uh, a particular business outcome that the uh, ultimate organization was looking for. Uh, or LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn fan. I'm, I'm very active on it. I'm very um, uh, proactive with it. And uh, if you send me a note, love to follow up with you. I'm with you. And we're going to drop uh, Mark's LinkedIn uh, profile there. One click away right there in the chat as well. Mark Holmes, really appreciate uh, all that you do. Uh, we enjoy your thought leadership and the conversations we've had here. So I uh, have a wonderful rest of your week, Mark Holmes with Inner Systems, and we'll see you again really, really soon. Thank you very much. Uh, you bet. Fun as usual. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Man, I, I tell you, Mark, I, I really enjoy those conversations. You know, I've been, uh, we've been fortunate to have him here. And then we've been out with him out in the industry, the Gartner events and other things. And it's always just so easy for anyone to understand, Greg, you know, simplifying things. Um, I want to get your take, though. Um, he mentioned the connected tissue. And I think one of the things we may not have mentioned, he may have alluded to at the end of his answer, uh, is when it comes to connected tissue, it's not just about empowering the people with um, better information they can act they can act on and make better decisions in a timelier manner. But in these days, when you've got a thousand different technologies that make up, you know, how your team does business, it's um, getting those technologies to work better together in the sandbox, so to speak. And maybe we'll touch on that in in Mark's next appearance, but. Despite it all, Greg, I mean, you are um, you're the, the a guru. I, I consider you a, a, a technologist and a guru. Tell us, you know, based on what Mark shared here today, what's one thing that folks gotta leave this conversation with front and mind? Uh, front and mind. It's really that um, the barriers have to come down. The barriers, whether they are uh, cultural, process, data, communication whatever they are, they have to come down internally and externally in your enterprise. And the more uh, availability, the less friction and the more clarity that you have with within your organization and with all of your trading partners, the more effective you'll be. You know, Mark made a good point, And that is that, you know, that the geopolitical space and, and disruptions will continue. Hey, look, they've always been here. The difference is no one had ever heard of supply chain, so they didn't give it before. So, um, right? I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time. You, if you ever wanted to end a conversation on an airplane bus or at a cocktail party, all you had to do was say, I'm in supply chain. And you could watch people's eyes glaze over and slowly drift away. So true. But now people, they know enough. And this is the important thing to recognize is that there is nowhere to hide. There is nowhere to hide. That is what's really changed in supply chain. There was some plausible deniability before because even the people that we worked with at our respective companies didn't know what the hell it is we did or what the net impact was. They thought it was get it here now for as cheap as possible. And there is so much more to it. I really think we need to stop thinking about supply chain as a supply chain and more as a commerce ecosystem. Because commerce is really that business of doing business between businesses. So, um, and when you think about the connective tissue that we talked about and all of the other intricacies and, and dependencies between enterprises and de- between departments and between people, 
It really is an ecosystem. If any of you have watched Avatar, admittedly, stupid, stupid movies. <laughs> but but the whole notion of this completely interconnected ecosystem is exactly what the supply chain is. And we need to start thinking about that more. And when we start thinking about that, then we'll recognize that we have to at least have the awareness that Mike Mark was talking about, Mike Mark was talking about, of what's going on, what could go wrong, and what to do about it. Yes. Yep. Well said, as always, Greg. Uh, folks, I hate to leave it there, but let me just encourage you a couple of things. You'll, you will be better off and be uh, glad you connected with Mark. And we dropped a link to, uh, to that in the chat here to connect with him. I'll tell you what, he and his team are bringing a, a, a breath of fresh air into how supply chain happens. Because, you know, what, what is inarguable, Greg, you know, if you look at the last hour, what is inarguable that, that no one can dispute is that with, with uh, all the, the challenges, the friction and the disruption and uh, you know, old old problems, new problems, whatever. We got to equip our teams with the tools they need uh, to 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 be successful, right? Because they want to be successful. Ninety eight percent want to be successful. So you check it out. So connect with Mark. Connect with uh, the InterSystems team. We got the link to there and to to the resources they brought. Um, Greg, always a pleasure. Really have enjoyed today's wide ranging episode. Great to do these with you. Likewise, thank you. I'm you know when we have these discussions about all this interconnectivity between people and companies, that it's really the essence of, of where supply chain is going. Yes. So well said. Completely agree with that. But folks, don't get left in the dust. You know, don't just talk about things you got to do. Don't be just talking about things your people need. Man, act. Take action. Deeds, not words. If you don't get help with Mark, get help somewhere, somewhere else. But uh Deeds, not words. And with that said, on behalf of Greg White, the whole team here at Supply Chain Now, thank you for joining us. We challenge you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.